your season finale. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is if you know of any work going for a fintech podcast host, then do let me know because my candidates are pretty much free after this for the rest of the time. Um, well, I haven't heard any of the episodes, but I'm looking forward to the second season already. Yeah, well, great. Good answer. You're listening to Fintech Mix, the podcast for fintech professionals, where we learn from talented people working in the industry. I'm your host, Nat Barker, and this, it pains me to say, is the last episode in the series. Joining me today for our blockbuster season finale is Luke Richardson, Director of Brand and Communications for Pleo. Luke, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. You, I believe, are the first internationally based guest we've had. Whereabouts are you speaking from? Thanks for having me on. So I'm actually calling in from Copenhagen, Denmark. Okay, and so how long have you been in Copenhagen? I've been out here almost 10 years now. So I'm from Essex, born and raised originally. I've moved out here some time back to study. I fell in love with the city and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Okay, all right. Well, we'll come back to that, I think. But just just to kick off, can you tell me a little bit about Plio? Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, the Director of Brand and Communications for a scaling Scandinavian company called Plio. Effectively, we are offering smart payment cards for different size businesses from your very early stage startups to your scaling businesses like our own. We are 280 people at present time of recording, operating in six different markets in the UK being our biggest. We had a huge Series B raise in 2019, $56 million. And yeah, we're going from strength to strength coming out of COVID. So what we really try to communicate with everything around Plio is that you know, we're, our mission, if you can call it that, is to be the go-to spending solution for forward-thinking teams everywhere. And what we really hope that we're doing through our technology and our approach with uh, simplified UI and, and user experience is bringing businesses into the future, realizing that the future of work is actually today if you can unlock it. And that's that's all what we're, we're striving for effectively. Uh, am I right in saying that the kind of the thrust of what Plio offers is is a much simpler system for staff reimbursement? Basically, you know, sim- no more complicated expenses forms, much easier use of company cards and that sort of thing. What was the sort of genesis of the idea? Do you know, was there, you know, a specific problem that was trying to be solved? Yeah, completely. I mean, we started very much with these cards, right? The Plio cards, which we really communicate to uh, our customers, everyone within your team should be getting one of these cards. And the reason for that is that we think paying out of pocket, so you know, having those reimbursements, as you mentioned, is sort of inherently unfair in the future of work environment. You can imagine most people, let's take your average salesperson, in a period that isn't COVID, they would be traveling a lot, they would be meeting with customers and clients, they would be paying for a lot of things on their own cards or accounts for the benefit of the company. And we think that that's pretty unfair when you think about those people having to pay rent at the end of the month or a mortgage, Mm -hmm. you know, paying for uh, basically having a life outside of work. So that's something that was our sort of, you know, mission at the very start to realize that's fundamentally flawed way of handling payments within a business. So that's what our cards cover. The other part of that is also the sort of automated expense reporting, which is enabled through our product with both the mobile app and and the cards themselves. So this means that instead of having to carry around lots of receipts that you then log at the end of the month, we're removing all of that manual entry. And instead, everything is automated. You get the immediate notification on the app whenever you've made a purchase and you don't have to upload that receipt, just snap a photo and then that's done, that's logged. So it's saving time for really like tedious work, both for the end user or the you know regular employee, as well as the finance admin. And then there's a few other parts of it. By the time of the, the launch of this podcast, we, we should have launched our Clear Bills initiative within the UK, which is for invoice handling. So this is a real 
strong issue that we can see within our customer base already. 49% of most business spend is actually tied up within invoices, paying for the lights to be on, paying for your freelance content creators and so on. So we're trying to optimize for that as well and provide a sort of automated experience for invoice handling that'll be launched um, in, well, be out at least by the time of this, uh, this podcast. And then the last part, which is, you know, factoring in mileage, actually factoring in those reimbursements, you know, in the odd edge cases where somebody doesn't have a card, let's say, or doesn't have it with them, a card that is, and then they need to get uh, reimbursed in some sort of way. So we're also um, optimizing for that as well, which hopefully those things all together, they allow us to have a, you know, a full spending solution for, for most teams. I mean, it sounds good to me, man. Like I've spent way too many hours in the past fiddling around with receipts, trying to remember whether, you know, a receipt for sort of like a £10 lunch that I got when I was working somewhere was, you know, whether that was something I could claim or couldn't claim. It's a, it's a real headache for a lot of people whose jobs involve getting out and about, I guess. But it's also interesting, you mentioned there that beyond the benefit of, you know, it's arguably like the right thing to do for companies not to kind of be expecting uh, a reimbursement system for their employees. It's also something that, you know, if you're an employer, it's in your interest to do this because it can save you time, it can save you admin, it can help out your finance team. Yeah, completely. I think, you know, we, we are a very values driven company. And I think our like key vision really is to make everyone feel valued at work, whether you are that CFO, the intern, the sales manager, whoever, you know, you've trusted them to the point of hiring them and to work within your business, you know, why wouldn't you trust them with the company money? So that's something that we're really, we really lean into. We're really like trust-based product versus like overly controlling, which we think is sort of like an outmoded way of working. But it, those aren't just like, you know, fluffy words of a marketer that we can genuinely see that within the product that we're creating as well, that it is, you know, optimizing the business. It's making them more efficient. We, we talk to our customers a lot through our Plio Insights initiative, which is where we're surveying them about different parts of our product experience. You know, 95% of those that we surveyed recently have indicated that it's introducing Plio to their business has made the whole team much more productive and much more trust-based. So we can see that it's actually removing what is quite like a manual process and very old fashioned way of working. So, you know, it ticks all the boxes for us. It's something that is bringing you forward and is a really like kind of cultural or value-driven aspect uh, of a business, but it's also, you know, making that business a lot more efficient process as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think you touched on something there that I wanted to mention, you know, I guess what holds a lot of employers back from wanting to give more employees a company card is, you know, is it, it comes down to trust, doesn't it? I guess basically, you know, are you worried that they're going to go out and spank 500 quid on, uh, you know, bottles of champagne and say that you know it was you know entertaining a client or what have you and you know what's been your the experience of your customers who have kind of I guess to an extent taken the leap of faith and decided they wanted to trust their staff and they wanted to entrust them with giving them a company card you know more employees than they previously would have done has that trust been kind of responded to well has that been rewarded yeah it's an interesting one I think you know the first case around those edge cases where maybe somebody has like spent 500 quid on something they shouldn't you know, I think that happens with or without a PLEA product, right? Like mm. that's just a, a case of having maybe inefficient or under-explained expense policies and how how the business spends, you know? Yeah. You know, we're not necessarily changing the fact that businesses will be spending because just by keeping the lights on, you're spending. But the way of spending is, is being changed through, through PLEA in a way that we think is a bit more, you know, trust-based and democratic. But, you know, that trust goes two ways. You know, it's not just, you know, those finance admins or those CFOs that want to show that they trust in their teams. 
it's also for those teams to indicate that they trust, they reciprocate, they realize that they're trusted by having a product like Clio in their in the back of their pocket or in their wallet, right? And you know, that's that's something that we've really tried to support in the COVID period as well. You know, nobody realized that we would be basically working from home, as, as at least I still am for the most part, for over a year. And while, you know, spending for, you know, traveling around the world for work and going to conferences and so on has, of course, like disappeared effectively in the last year. What we are seeing is like the democratic or sort of trust-based way of uh, spending is allowing for your sales manager to buy an ergonomic chair back at home because they're really sick mm -hmm. of, you know, working from a kitchen stool for the last six months. And, you know, in lieu of going to see a, you know, a chiropractor or a massage therapist, you know, they could just be getting an ergonomic chair. And, and these kind of things, you know, it kind of gives the power to your people. You know, we, we do educate our finance admins and, and our sort of core admin users around ways of working and ways of spending. But ultimately, it's, it's going to depend on the kind of business that you want to be as well. Do, do you want to be the kind of business that is going to police your sales manager for buying an ergonomic chair, chair uh, a year into working from home? Or can you acknowledge that that's a kind of justified use of spend? So yeah, that's the is, way that we look at it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it does seem to me that it touches on something which ties into the experience that a lot of us had have had during the pandemic, you know, where, you know, a lot of people have started to work from home. Pretty much everyone with an office based job has worked from home during the pandemic. And I think for a lot of those people previously, their employers maybe kind of didn't trust them to work from home. You know, like we want you in the office kind of, you know, to keep an eye on you partly, I guess, is, is part of the subtext. And mm. I think what a lot of employees have found out is that actually people can work from home. And I know loads of companies have reported increased productivity with people working from home and now moving to a post-pandemic world. There's talk of much more flexible working with people choosing when they come into the office and work outside of the office. Mm -hmm. And it seems like Pleo and the sort of things you're discussing fit into that narrative about like this kind of reset of the relationship between employee and employer to an extent. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, our, our product works with or without a global pandemic, right? But one thing, of course, we were, you know, hit to some extent in terms of like spend and usage on, on the cards during the COVID period. But now coming out of that reality as it once was, realizing that, you know, businesses have fundamentally changed in the last year. And I think everybody knows by now, you know, the sort of quite common statistic around companies basically digitizing 30 years within a year due to COVID, you know, the ability to be much more on or online, working asynchronously potentially in terms of your hours. You know, our, our product is sort of, it's not the singular factor that brings companies into the future or it's acknowledging the future of workers today, but it definitely helps as part of that journey. What sort of customers do you have? Uh, is there a broad range of, of businesses that are using Plio? or does it tend to be kind of particularly focused into one sector? It's actually super broad. And, and that's one of the things that, I, I really enjoyed about, you know, joining the company a year and a half ago, what really inspired me. You know, we've got everything from record labels to construction companies, accountancy firms to early stage startups, insurance companies, restaurants, you know, you name it, we, we kind of have it effectively. And, you know, for, for me, at least every company spends, you know, some maybe more than others, but seeing as every company is spending, you may as well be using Clear. And the fact that we integrate to, you know, accounting services like Xero and Sage and so on, QuickBooks, you know, this enables this to be really seamless as well. So that's that's one of the cool things. You know, one thing that we will be, you know, of course, doing more and more of as, as we're scaling is broadening that sort of uh, target uh, buyer. 
and also kind of going up market. A big part of that is also looking at, you know, some of those really interesting companies that have basically scaled while using Clio. You know, they may have started as a really early stage startup of, you know, five people with a big idea, but now they are 100, 200 people in the organization. And it's really cool for, you know, some of these companies where we've actually been there as part of that ride as well and mm. helped them scale. Yeah, cool. I just want to ask you a little bit about yourself, Luke, if that's okay. We've talked about Plio mm-hmm. a fair bit. I mean, you mentioned that you joined a year and a half ago. Is that right? How did you get into the into the business? Where, where have you been before that in your career? Yeah, sure. So I, I joined in July 2019. So almost two years by the point that this is going to go live. And I've been, as I mentioned at the start, I've been living in Copenhagen for almost 10 years now, actually. So pretty close to getting my citizenship. Hopefully that comes through in June, which, you know, is definitely required. Let's put it that way, given the, the state of the world, in particular, my, my homeland at the at present. And so before that, you know, I was working at a couple of companies in a sort of similar space, but not directly within sort of financial services. So sort of computer hardware and software company called Airtame for a year and a bit. And then before that, where I guess I kind of sort of found my calling really was in a travel meta search company called Momondo, which was acquired by a kayak holdings um, a few years back, or booking holdings rather. And it was there that I kind of started on this more like marketing led journey as a sort of content marketer and content producer, eventually then uh, leading team of I think we were 12 at the end there 12 in-house iconic content producers data journalists video editors and so on but then also a global contributor network of 250 people that were sort of you know reporting on the ground of different things to see in you know Madrid Paris different cities all over the world and before that you know I actually don't have and this is something that I I wouldn't say I, I wear the badge of honor necessarily but I don't have a direct sort of marketing education I'm actually in in some ways like a failed film critic. You know, that was sort of my calling, I thought, at least nine, 10 years ago. Before that, worked a little bit in broadcasting, studied at Goldsmiths College in London, and I've tried like many different hats, you know, and it seems like this one is sort of fitting me. And then, you know, I, I never professed or dreamed of working in a sort of expense management company. And in a lot of ways, I kind of have to pinch myself sometimes when I think about that, right? Because it's certainly not something that, you know, originally got me out of bed, really inspired to go to work. But when I learned about the system, and I was working in a company beforehand that was actually using Plio, I realized that it's not just a product that we're selling, a B2B product. But it's actually like a new way of working, which mm. was really inspiring to me. And realizing that there's this kind of emotional aspect as well in terms of who is accountable for spending, which which bank account this is coming out of. That's something that I really hooked onto and decided to join. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so, you know, you, you mentioned you worked in, in broadcast briefly. And I think you, am I right in saying you were a journalist for a little while as well at, at one point? Yeah. So when I was sort of, again, that sort of failing film critic, I guess, it was also dabbling with, you know, more like broad kind of cultural journalism and so on. How does it compare working, you know, in, in, a, in a fintech to, you know, working in, well, I guess, what you would call the media? You know, I, I still love that world and I, I really engage with it. I would say that broadcasting is probably, you know, firstly music, but then my second passion is, is broadcasting, not even just in terms of output, but like, like that, that world of creating something, productivity within broadcasting is, is something that I really enjoy but then at the same time you know being in a company like this I feel like it's having what I like about this is that we have built a team is that is you know internal first and foremost we've got a really big internal effective creative creative agency within the company so 
when it comes to video production, radio production, advertising, and so on, we're still incorporating a lot of that. The aspects of what I really enjoy within broadcasting, they just happen to be within this sort of holding company of the fintech. Pleo, is, is it a Danish company, Pleo? Is it founded in Denmark and based in Copenhagen? Yeah, pretty much. You know, we, we say that we're pretty much like Danish by default in some ways because our headquarters is here, but we have a company of around 280 people. It's, you know, 45 plus different nationalities and we've got five different offices. So we've got a quite a big office in London. We've got people in Berlin, Madrid, Stockholm. And, you know, we, we have always been quite outward thinking when it comes to being a, a Danish quote unquote company. And UK has always been our, our biggest market. So you know, that's why I say that we've kind of been Danish by default in some ways. Do you think that that Danish by default thing has a strong bearing on the sort of working culture of the organisation, which I imagine for a company like Pleo is especially important, you know? And I think that a lot of people have a, you know, a kind of notion of like a, a sort of quite specific Scandinavian and particularly Danish way of doing things. Do you think that Pleo sort of subscribes to that to an extent? Yeah, I mean, you could say that we do, but I, I don't think we lean in too much to that, to be honest with okay. you. One thing that I've really acknowledged in the, the nine or almost 10 years living here is that Danes are actually pretty modest. And particularly those that you'll find in Copenhagen, as soon as they hear a twang of an English accent, they're going to lean into that and really appreciate, you know, thinking more internationally versus relatively tiny nation and, and that way of thinking. However, you know, I think it's it's kind of in the bones of the company and the way that we work. You know, one of the things that we really prize ourselves on, and I think is a key differentiator within our space is our ease of use and simplicity. And those are, you know, arguably words, you know, <laughs> they're words that anyone could say about their product, but it is singularly the, the biggest bit of feedback that we get in terms of our reviews and something that we really take pride in. And we take pride in our you know, beautifully simple design approach, our approach to a brand more, more generally, and also like the customer service aspects of that too. So that's one part, and it's definitely in the bones of the company. It's definitely in the way that we're working as an organization as well. You know, like if we're standing for the future of work, we kind of have to practice what we preach there. So, you know, whether it's like having a really strong work-life balance or, you know, learning and development opportunities as well, these are things that we really take to heart and ultimately is what kind of steers the business as well. You mentioned the design aspects of Plio and you work in sort of the brand and communication side of the business, obviously. Now, I know you only joined relatively recently, but can you tell me about the name Plio? Where does that come from? Yeah, sure. So I think the, the company originally had the name Pajo Box, which, you know, if you do a lot of deep Google research, you may, you may find some uh, examples of that. But we've been Plio from at least, I think, 2016. And the sort of etymology of that name is actually deriving from Latin meaning more or fill. And the way that we have then adapted that is to effectively mean that it's more than expected. And the reason why like, we kind of lean into that is the fact that, you know, our product, which seems extremely simple on a you know high level or base level, when you actually interact with it and use it for yourself, you're realizing like the way it can actually transform your business as well in connection to being a much more trust-based team and, and having that autonomy. So that's where the, the name stems from. And how important do you think it is for a company like Plio to get that marketing right, that, that brand, that communication side of the offer? How significant is that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's crucial to be really aligned on your communication strategy, whether that's globally or looking at the specific markets. So I work very closely with our marketing managers to find that local nuance 
that is really needed for the market and that's beyond you know what which, which kind of accounting integration are they using there but how does a product like Blio actually land within that organization or rather within that market and one thing that we've we've really seen is you know there's an assumption for one of our youngest markets Spain where we're not even selling just an expense management or spend solution for businesses we're actually selling like a different way of working like a whole different culture which you know that company needs to get on board with mm. and for us we think you know as i mentioned before it's a forward thinking solution but not every company is forward thinking for right now and that's perfectly okay but we feel that over time product like plio is going to be the go to spend solution or the sort of no brainer within this space because what we're aspiring for is that autonomous trust-based trust-based way of working and at least i hope that we're not going retreating from that we're not going to be going back towards a more control-based organization approach so so hopefully that's that's what's landing in the markets and we can see that you know companies across those six different markets are being very receptive to that can you talk me you know what does it what does it mean to be you know director of brand and communications for for a company like plio can you talk me through your average day is there anything you're focusing on at the moment in particular kind of what are your priorities what are your responsibilities yeah sure no such thing as a typical day or maybe even week at this point right given the sort of the year that we've had really but what i really try to engage with is basically the different parts of our organization both within marketing but then broader broader than that looking at what we call our kind of dtm or go to market team which marketing is part of including also customer success support sales rev- revenue operations and uh, sort of go to market initiatives as well so i work kind of across that group i think that's around almost 150 people at this point to make sure that we are strategically sound when it comes to our messaging and positioning but then also on the tactics as well supporting those marketing managers that we have for the different initiatives that we'll be running whether it's sponsoring a podcast like this one or you know, attending a certain webinar series or events, hopefully more of those in the future. And I also work very closely with our product marketing team. We have a very productive, let's say, uh, product team, and we are shipping lots of different features and product experiences. And what we really support with there is taking some product or feature from release to launching. And that means, you know, having sort of a go-to-market plan, making sure that a campaign is set up, different creators being built, content marketing as well. That's all sort of sort of sitting within uh, my remit. And then the last part is is the kind of creative agency or in-house creative team that we've been able to build. And this is a mixture of, you know, brand designers, motion designers, creative producers, videographers, brand managers, content team and so on. What's the ambition for Plio? You know, you mentioned, you know, launching a new product fairly shortly. You know, beyond that, what are the, what are the goals in terms of growth and expansion? Yeah, so, I mean, internally, we've really refined what this looks like for us because it's one of the really challenging parts of, you know, fortunately successful company or a scaling company like ours. It's quite hard to find general alignment across teams. Like what is the North Star effectively that every every team, whether you're in support or sales or, or you know, backend ops and so on, what can you all sort of strive towards and like, you know, point towards? And for us, like we've defined this as having 1 million empowered users. So a user is, it's, it could be me and you as part of a business. It could also be the, the finance admin and so on. That's something that we want, 1 million empowered users by 2025. The ambition to get there means that we need to really broaden not just our product offering, which we feel is in a pretty good state, particularly with the way that we've invested in out-of-pocket spending and, and invoice handling, but also launching the new markets as well. 
and you know we hope that we're going to come out the whole economy the kind of at least you know the european economy where we're playing right now we really hope that that thrives coming out of covid and that will put us into a good good place to be launching those new markets when we get into the new year as well and what about you personally luke i mean am i right in saying that you have one eye on becoming a glass blower I do have one eye on, on becoming a glass blower. You know, if this whole business spending thing doesn't work out, I do have a pipe dream, pun intended, to mm-hmm. become a glass blower. And this is something that, you know, I guess when you're a kid, some people want to be a footballer or an actor or doctor. I really wanted to be a glass blower. And I guess work and priorities have kind of got in the way of exploring that. But that's something that I would love to find some spare time to be doing. It's It's a little bit harder than, you know, going to ceramics classes or something like that it's a bit more labor intensive so i think i need to find uh you know a sabbatical maybe to be able to take that on fully and presumably you're intending to stay out in copenhagen for the long haul yeah i think so i mean you know i've been out here for, for this long as i mentioned would love to be getting the citizenship hopefully this year I have to take one of those citizenship tests similar to the uk where you're asked questions like who was the king in 1354 and, mm. you know, the stuff that maybe doesn't really reflect your sort of typical living life in a company, but a uh, country rather, but it's kind of good to know, I guess. But I, I'm very committed to, to being here, very much sort of set down my roots, love to visit back home. And of course, I hope I get the chance to do much more of that uh, when we come out of COVID. But yeah, Denmark is the place for me, I think. One question which I quite like to ask people towards the end of a podcast, Luke, is what advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I've really been asked that recently. I think one thing is like, don't lose curiosity. And this is something that, you know, kids have in in buckets, right? Like they're always like inherently curious. I mean, we're born curious as human beings, but that's something that you can kind of typically lose as you become a little bit more rational as you're getting older. But for me, that's something that I would really encourage anybody, whether you're getting into brand, communications, marketing, fintech, anywhere, don't lose that curiosity. And that also means, you know, listening versus talking all the time, which I guess I haven't done a fantastic job of in this podcast, still working on that. But also having an ear to the ground, sort of seeing, you know, what is happening within your community. Maybe there's initiatives that you can imagine yourself like jumping on board with. And don't be afraid to fail as well. would probably be a big one. I think you're being too harsh on yourself, Luke. It's, as the guest of the podcast, you've got carte blanche to talk talk about yourself as much as you want. It's the whole format. Maybe right? I should have a podcast myself and, you know, I'll invite you on as a guest and I can hear all about your life the, story as well. It's the obvious solution. Yeah, get me on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Luke. I'm just going to ask you some quickfire questions, if that's okay, of yeah, sure. varying degrees of stupidness. So I'm going to start off by saying, because uh, I, I, I remember reading in your notes that you're a bit of a film buff and you mentioned that you were once a kind of would-be film critic. So what was the last film you watched that you really liked? Hmm. The last film that I watched that I really liked. I'm actually digging into a lot of series at the moment. One thing that I finished yesterday was watching The Juice, an HBO series around sort of like downtown or sort of midtown New York in the 70s and 80s. That's something that I really like in terms of like period detail. That's one of the things I really soak up. Okay, well, on the flip side then, what's the last thing you watched that you hated? Oh, I mean, if I do hate something, I try to switch it off, I guess. I actually didn't love the movie Promising Young Woman that is in varying stages of being released at the moment. I thought it was, I thought that some of the characterization was a little bit heavy handed. All right, fair enough. Uh, What's your signature dish? Signature dish. I'm working a lot on empanadas lately. 
Mm, very tasty. Indeed. Is there another country you'd like to live in? I would love to live in Paris temporarily. I've thought highly of. I don't think they're saying anything about me. And then on the flip side of that, there's a tiny, tiny, tiny town. I don't even think you can call it that. Called Marfa in Texas, which is really off the grid, but has a nice sort of community feeling of like small restaurants and bars and a music festival every year. I'd love to live out there. Okay, great. What's your ideal way to spend a day off? A day off? Well... I mean, if, if we're not thinking during COVID times, I think I, I really like to just walk around and like kind of engage with the city. Also, like cycling is a big thing. There's a sort of like no brainer within Copenhagen. So I would probably say go on a long bike ride, exhaust myself, eat a lot of ice cream, come back and watch a movie. That would probably be a pretty solid Saturday. Sounds all right to me. What's a publication that you read every day? Uh, it's not every day, but at least every week. The New Yorker is something that I've had a subscription for for about seven years. Really engaged with that. And finally, would you rather be a human bee or a human frog so if you're a bee you're a human you look broadly like a human but you've got little bee wings that you can fly with and you can make honey and you can sting people but you can only buzz or if you're a frog similarly you kind of look like a person but you can jump much further and catch things with your long stucky tongue but you can only make a ribbic sound yeah, I think it's got to be the bee. You know, when you said that I'm able to fly, that's sort of hard to beat, right? I guess you can hold your water, hold your breath underwater for a lot longer as a frog. But I would say the bee is the kind of slightly sexier choice, isn't it, than the frog? I that's what buzz, I'm going constant... for. I'm trying to find a more sexy excuse. Yeah, constant yeah. buzzing is better than constant riveting, I think. Uh, Luke, I think so. thanks so much for joining me. It's been great fun. And thank you very much for listening to this episode of Fintech Mix and indeed the series. If you haven't already, do go back and listen to our previous episodes with more great guests. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and are sad that the series is coming to an end, do not despair as we may very well be back with a second series. Fintech Mix is a podcast from Say Hello to Audio. To find out more, visit fintechmix.com.